Welcome to Do A Blessing CNS Church London's podcast, sharing the good news weekly. We hope you are blessed by today's message. want to thank you for today. We ask you to heal our hearts, heal our finances, heal relationships, do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and say, are you having fun? Are you learning anything? Was Elaine's session good? Did you enjoy Elaine's um, session? I saw one of um, the ladies I used to present with on, uh, when I I had um, a TV program on OHTV, moved from... Revelation TV, and I saw Claudine read. She, I think Elaine mentioned that PJS services delivers um, some training. It's a very small world, isn't it? We always have to make sure we're good and we have good um, character and standing. <laughs> Amen. So I pastor, but before um, I've always liked money. Turn to the person sitting next to you and say, Do you like money? <laughs> money, money, money. <laughs> the Bible says money answers all things. So no money, questions, loads of questions. I've been born again for I've been born again for more than 30 years. So so I've been from one extreme of not having money to the other extreme of having money, to the other extreme of giving it all up, you know, to the other extreme of now being balanced. Somebody say balanced. The Bible says um, a false balance is an abomination before the Lord. You know, at this time of my life, I celebrated my 50th a few years ago. One of the things I'm very, very, very passionate about is mentoring. So that, we, so that you don't have to make the mistakes we made. If I had a good mentor, if I had um, a lot of information that I have now, I would do things very differently. I've always mentored people, but eventually I just decided, you know what, I'll just focus my energy on mentoring. Um, a few years ago, I've done different things. I trained people on how to sell on eBay, on Amazon, um, I've done that, I sold bed leaning. That was my foray into um, the world of business. You can make so much money on eBay. At one point, I was making 10,000 pounds a month. And you can still make that kind of money. <laughs> so, um, so I sold bed leaning got very excited. I was looking at the bank balance and I ended up spending my capital and my profit. So woof. So that wasn't very good. No mentoring, no coaching, no support. It was just me doing my own thing. If I had support, I would have done things differently, you know? So from there, I um, started selling toys, children's toys. And then I was headhunted to work for um, two charities, Tear Fund and um, Betty Graham Evangelistic Association. Then I did that. So I did quite a bit, but in between that, I realized that um, I have so many skills. I sew my own clothes. I do my own hair. You know, I make jewelry. I just happen to be, I used to be so excited about having so many talents. But after a while, I actually realized that there's the curse of the multi-talents. Because if you're not careful, you focus on nothing and you get nothing, right? So I have all the experiences. When I start doing hair, I have a wig cap that I designed, spent so much money. My first order was 5,000 pieces. Got re- I'm telling you. So when I talk about um, business, you know, I mean, there's so many things that we could do in terms of business. But what I found is you must focus. You know, you choose that thing that you're very passionate about. If I, what, I, what I teach my, the people I mentor now, I, by God's grace, I mentor 
millionaires, I mentor people that are upcoming. I have, I, I think, I mean, I've been in ministry for more than 30 years, so what do you expect? So I've built a whole network of women and men, you know, and so we're always exchanging ideas and things like that. And one of the things I found is that whatever it is, um, there's a lady called Brené Brown. I was listening to her, I stumbled on her on the internet, she was on the YouTube, she was talking about the power of vulnerability. I mean, a social worker, 10 years researching into what it means to be vulnerable, got an opportunity to speak at TEDx, spent three days really whining and crying over the fact that she felt it was, it was, an, it was such a flop. You know, not, I'm not realizing that that clip, you know, this was 2010. As of today, it's got 39 million views. You know, when I was listening to her last week, you know, I just stumbled on her for some reason. And I read her story and I thought, I was saying to my friends and um, the classes I had after that, I said, it's very interesting that, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about before watching Brené, Brené, uh, Brené Brown is the fact that um, uh, uh, I was thinking about the fact that your passion and whatever it is, you're very, that you have a, a natural ability for is something that you should, you should um, develop from within. You know, if, she can, if I'd met her years ago and she told me she was studying on courage or the power of being vulnerable, I said, go and get a life. You, you would say the same thing, wouldn't you? That of all things, but guess what? Just focusing on that aspect as a social worker has brought her for, before kings and not mere men. Can you imagine? And so there's something about passion. Um, before we say, oh, passion, then after a while my friends and I began to say, passion is not enough if it's not going to make you money. You know, but what I found out is that um, you know, the, the easiest example I can give is that you can be passionate about something but not good at it. You know, so somebody who thinks they can sing, because um, they have the money, they wax an album, and, and um, they really cannot sing. They really cannot sing. So, um, <laughs> so how do you do? So you can have a passion, but what I'll say, where a coach and a mentor comes in is being able to sit down with this person and go on a journey with that person to say, okay, I think I can sing, okay. Um, the beauty of uh, a coach or, 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 or a mentor, depending on which angle you take it, what I will do is I'll sit down with you and listen to your voice and give you an honest opinion. That, okay, you're, you're very passionate about music, but your voice does not carry the weight of your passion. So what I would suggest is explore other areas within the music industry. Do you want to be a writer? Do you want to go and teach music? But as you as a person, you do, so you can have a passion, but not be good at it. So I had a passion as an entrepreneur. I love money. I've always felt that um, I love good things. You know, and as a pastor, I've always felt that the, my, the, 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 whatever church gives me, you know, is not what I'm going to use to fund my, my passion. You know, my, the fact that I love wearing good things, which is, why I stumbled on sewing in error, you know? That's for another day. <laughs> if you ask me, you know? So, because of that, I've always been very hardworking. And my goodness, I am very creative. My mind is forever buzzing. It has good and bad, I, it has good bits and not so good bits. Because what I found as I was younger was when I would have an idea without blinking or thinking, because I can do, I make it work. But I won't put the business plan behind it, which is why I like what Elaine was saying about business plan. When I was going to start my eBay business and um, I joined, there was this thing they were still doing, there was prowess and there was this um, grant that was available if you were in a deprived area and my office was in a deprived area. So I was eligible, so I went. After six months, the lady said, I don't want to see you again. Go and do your eBay business and off I went. But I didn't have the financial backing. When I say financial, I didn't have the, not financial backing, I didn't have financial management because I was working really hard. So I had passion, but I didn't have the other bit. And I was sitting with the head of Lloyd's TSB Retail Banking. And he said, Abby, we were in a meeting, you know, and he said, I don't know why, but I think a lot of um, black people don't really like business plans. I said, I don't like business plans either. 
you know, because when you sit with it, it's almost like, oh my gosh. But guess what? When I was going to start my kid bed, a bedding business, I actually did a business plan. Because I didn't know absolutely anything about materials and fabrics. I went to learn about fabrics for six weeks at London School of Fashion. And then every other thing except the financial bit. So I did have a business plan. I started from eBay. I started selling my used clothes and, and stuff, gathered enough money, and started my business. So it was, from a, it was organic, but I didn't know too much. Now when I know, now that I know a lot, um, and I wanted to streamline, one of the things I did was that I thought to myself, what is it that I, I love retail, so I love buying and selling. I just, it's a natural thing. I'm a natural salesman. I could sell a flight to you and you pay me a thousand pounds for it. You know, if I, if I do my homework well, you will pay me. You know what I mean? So I began to think. I've been headhunted. Da, 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 da. Oh gosh, should I go into hair? Then I started doing hair and I didn't like it. But at the moment, I do my daughter's hair. Every style possible I can do. Then I thought sewing. Because I can sew, if you give me any fabric, I turn it into whatever. So, somebody gave me uh, an assignment. Pastor A, sew us an outfit. Sat down for two days, made this outfit because I'm melancholic. Perfectionism is my middle name, you know. And so, finally, finally, when she, because as a pastor, I didn't want to charge, you know. I said, okay, give me whatever. When she paid me, I thought, never again. I'm not sewing for anyone. <laughs> so, that was the end of my sewing for for external people. So right now, I only sew for myself, for my immediate family, and you know, I'm looking at making something for my husband, because you're always sewing things for yourself. So I've taken that on as a challenge. I'm going to get the patterns and sew. And so I thought, okay, I'm not doing sewing. I'm not doing uh, hairdressing. Um, I went to study um, wig making and things like that. Okay, what am I going to do? In between all of this madness and everything that was happening, I was introduced to gold. So I said, okay, yeah, gold, you know. So my, when my friends and I wanted to buy a business about five years ago, we sat down and they said, okay, Abby, you, you just, whatever you want to do, we support you. So I found a school uniform business. We're really going to buy it. But everything just said it wasn't worth doing. It was going to cost 350000 um, My accountant was like, the stock was too expensive. The financial advisor said too expensive. But the lawyer then said to me, if all your friends are putting this money down, we need a little bit more. By the time we did all the homework, I just thought, we all just agreed not to go ahead. So I thought, right, what do we do? This is where friends and family come in. My friend said to me, Abby, one thing you never, every time you're with, we're together, we're playing, we're eating, we're laughing, when I come for your meetings, you're always talking about gold. So I thought, oh, okay then. She said, why don't you focus on gold? So while I was busy thinking about it, my husband too said to me, I know you're really trying to, to streamline and you just want to focus on one thing. Because I found that you can't focus on more than two things, no matter how good you are. You know, that's, I mean, that's my own perspective. So he said, why don't you focus on gold? I said, interesting, because my friend too said the same thing. While Jonathan spoke to me about that and I was still thinking about it, we had a meeting with some of our pastor friends, and they sat down. One of them said, oh, God told him that he should start buying gold and this, this, this. And we were like, oh. So I said, well, I've been thinking about that as well, actually. So we got, we got talking about it. And then my former Bible school teacher came around from the States. And um, as they were praying for us towards the end of the day, he said, I just, his friends, there were two of them who came to see us said, oh, I just had a vision while we were praying for you and the kids, and I just saw like a truckload of gold coins. Oh, I thought, what more confirmation do I need? So I thought, okay, that's it. We're going to do that. And I'm one of those people, if I decide to do anything, I will study until I can study no more. Because knowledge is power. Just like Elaine was sharing with us um, about credit reports and things like that. So... Here I was, gold it is. Went for all the exhibitions, that's me. And that's what I'll say to you. Any area you're interested in, there's an exhibition in the UK or in Europe. There is an exhibition for every product, every service, and every item. And there's nothing new under the sun. There's absolutely nothing you want to do that nobody else has done before. So go looking for them. Go looking. I could tell you stories from my bed leaning up to now, but that's not, the, um, the, the, that's not where I'm going. So, I started studying, started reading, 
went for the jewelry exhibition, met a lot of suppliers, left my card, you know, and everything. And then um, the next thing, I contacted um, a few refineries, you know, set up accounts, okay, phase two, phase three. Um, part of the requirement was that I needed to be a registered company and I'd already had my company anyway. So I needed to open a bank account. And because it's precious metals, the banks were not very keen. So that's fine. Finally, um, I opened a bank account, had a meeting with my bank manager. And after the meeting, as I was walking down the high street, that's the thing about being prophetic. As I was walking down the high street, I heard so clearly in my heart, go and ask that company if they have a vacancy. I thought, okay. So, of course, I, walked, I didn't go in and say, God said I should tell you that and ask if you have a vacancy. Of course, I didn't say that. So, <laughs> so I just went in. I said, oh, I'm really interested in what you're doing here and things like that. They said, oh, um, I said, uh, funnily enough, I've been studying on pawnbroking because of the gold industry. I wanted to know everything. So I said, I've been studying on pawnbroking and things like that. They, oh, the lady said, yeah, that's fine. Um, we will train you. We have such a powerful um, train syst training system and things like that. Where do you live? I told her. I said, there's actually another store near you. You can go and meet them, and they have a vacancy. So she called them, and they said, oh, yes, the vacancy is still on. So I, they told me to get my CV. I ran home, boop, 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 arranged everything, handed the CV. Within two, three weeks, they called me for an interview. So I went for the interview, I sat now, never heard of this pawnbroking company in my entire life until that day that the Holy Spirit said I should go there. So, the first week I started that job, oh my God, I'd never been on my feet for the whole day. By the time, it was part-time, because I started part-time, they said I should do maybe two or three days a week. At the end of the three days, I thought, who sent me? My legs were killing. If not that, I had heard God that said, go and ask for, a, if they had a job, I would have just called it quit. Because my family were like, mom, you started with another project? My husband was like, well, it's up to you. You know, nobody was keen. So I persevered and, you know, after a while, you know, pastor now, I started... I started from the bottom rung. I started customer services. Can you imagine? A whole banker, pastor. Hey. So, that's what happens when you work with God, isn't it? So, um, gradually, I didn't tell them anything. I didn't even tell them I was a Christian. I but people would come into this store. Pastor, I'd be up. Like, praise the Lord. Some days when I'm not, by the time I came back, everybody knew my husband did the stadium event. Everybody knew who I was within the store. I was like, no. Anyway. Long and short, within six months, I became one of the managers in the store, and I was having fun, and I really learned so much about the gold industry. Oh, gosh. I learned so much. I learned about pawnbroking, and like Elaine was saying about payday loans, I learned. But one thing I learned was that a lot of English people have gold. Oh, we think we have gold. You haven't seen nothing yet. I'm telling you. And Asians, they, they will come in, because what the, the thing about pawnbroking is this. Buy gold for the rainy day. When you need money, you go to Elaine PC and they say, we're coming. What, they're still coming? Or the main high street bank is still processing your details. You go in with your gold. We weigh it. We look at it and we borrow you money on it. So that business, that, you know, so it's good. So I thought, wow. So I learned so much. And so one of the things I started saying to my women, because I run a network for women, I started giving them a challenge that within the next five years, every woman should have at least 10,000 pounds worth of gold. And I'm not talking about 18 carats. I'm not talking about nine carats. I'm talking about the premium bags, you know. And they're like, oh, Pastor A. I said, yes. Start with 50 pounds, start with 100 pounds. Like Elaine was saying, if she could do it, if something is very important to you, you will cut your coat according to your size. Because what I began to do was 50 pounds, 100 pounds, whatever, I began to invest it. I began to, you know, just pour it in. Because I'm in my 50 now, 50s now, and I can tell you, no matter how prudent you are, the rainy day always comes. There will always be that day when, even with all your additions and subtractions, the things just don't add up. Look, 
when I was in my, in my uh, uh, when I had my son, here we have child benefit. I said, I wish somebody had told me, add 20 pounds to it, make it 100 pounds, and be, and be buying gold with it. 16 years ago, gold was 1 pound 99 a gram. Now it's 32 pounds a gram. So those who were investing in it, were, I mean, I, when I began to, began to talk, share this, I was meeting women who said to me, I, this is all I have spent my money on. Rather than buying the ashwabies and doing and just trying to be like everybody else and not preparing for the rainy day, you know, so you ha, you, look, you ha, what, what are your plans for the future? Would you want to retire early? I was saying to my son, my son would say, oh, he was talking to me about assets and liability. So I said, gold is an asset. You know, I, I, um, luxurious items are assets. When I began to work in the industry, I always say to my friends, except if I have some friends who, they love new things. You can, if you can afford it, and can take 100,000 and buy yourself a nice watch, including VAT, fine. But when I uh, began to work as a pawnbroker, I realized that you can actually buy the same thing without VAT. Some people buy items, especially the rich people, they don't know what to do with it, they give it to us. So we sell it on. You know, so I began to see so many tricks of the trade that we're not even aware of, you know, and as I began to um, uh, focus more on this, there's a principle we teach in church, like Elaine was saying about tithes and things like that, you, if you have 100 pounds, 10% is for God, you save 10%, you invest 10%, you have play money, and then the 50, 60%, you spend it on whatever you want to do, sorry, the 50, 60% on your bills, so 10% to God, 10% savings, that's what PCE, I actually have set up, I've sent up a, a link to open my deposit account, savings account with PCE. I did it when she was talking. So, 10%, 10, 10 um, for God, 10% savings goes to PCU, and then 10% um, in, in investments. Gold, um, you want to buy a house, all those things, you get it ready. And then you have play money. Play money is that money where as, especially, especially where husband and wife are concerned. So your husband has, I know we're not going into um, deep um, financial management right now. So your husband is the firstborn, you're the lastborn, and you have play money. So with your play money, when you've done all the calculations, it's 100 pounds. So you decide what you want to do with it. If your husband likes, you can give it to his mom. If I like, I can give it to my mom. If I like, I can, I can keep the money and buy myself a Chanel bag. That play money is my money. I do whatever I like with that money. So that I don't go to work and think, ah, I'm just working. You know, I don't save and think all I'm doing is just saving. I'm just not, all I'm doing is paying bills. And if you have bills like we do, you know what I did? When I began to look at financial um, intelligence, I began to speak to my creditors. I began to speak to them. You that I pay, I'm using this as an example. If I pay you 200, I tell you straight, I'm only giving you 50. Because I'm thinking now, I have to begin to be selfish. If you have, you know, so you, and you're in the UK, so you can negotiate. You know, we can make, there's some bills we can make, like she said, and if I were you, I'll take her details and be hounding her and, <laughs> and asking for details. When I work in pawnbroking, there's Noddle score, there's Noddle and Claire score, they're free. You go on there and they tell you everything to do with, um, they tell you everything to do with, um, um, what's it called, your credit score and things like that, you know? So, right now, I'm at a place where I just focus on ministry. I focus on my women's group that I run, especially the mentoring aspect, and I focus on my gold business. So, um, I've got uh, abby.com, um, which is my name, I spelt it. Abby.com. So I do jewelry, online jewelry, gold, diamond, silver, everything, and I sell investment bags as well. So those are the, so now, no matter what happens, I'm not sewing for you. I'm not doing your hair. I'm not. <laughs> if you go to my eBay store, now I'm so tired of eBay now. If you, if I, if you were to go to my eBay store, everything you see now is Abby.com and Women's World and City Chapel. It's taken me almost, I started trying to streamline from 2011, 2010. I was headhunted twice in between that. So really and truly, streamlining started for me in 2015, you know. So now, focus. You focus on um, two or three things. Um, I want to, as a woman who um, 
it just so happens that I'm one of those people who have earned a lot of money when my husband was busy doing ministry. Um, I've also found that, that with the new, with what is happening and a lot of the statistics I'm looking at, whereas in 20, let me, I'm really jumping ahead of myself now because it's on the slide and I'm conscious of time. Um, whereas in, uh, where's my slide? I'm looking for the statistics that sh talks about where, aha. Uh -huh. So, it says this. Although the number of families in which wives are the main breadwinners is still fairly small, it's a steadily growing trend. In 1980, only 13% of married women earned more than or about as much as their husbands. By the year 2000, that figure had almost doubled, rising to 25%. Since then, the rise has been slower but is still on an uptick. In 2017, 28% of women made more money than their husbands. In 2018, 35%. So you find that, that I think maybe because, uh, I don't know what it is, but, well, not that I don't know what it is, but one of the things I found is that a lot of us women, we are on, um, we seem to be earning more money than the men, not not because it's worked out that way. So, um, my husband, he works as a pastor. He does earn his salary, but because I do business, I get more, right? Um, but I also noticed that where there was a season where I had so much money coming in and he was on his pastor's salary, then everything flipped. And even though he's on a pastor's salary now and earning his money, I actually ask him for money. I'm like, oh, no. You know, so the basic of what I'm trying to say is <laughs> seasons. We go through seasons where sometimes it's the wife who earns the money more than the husband, and sometimes the husband more than the wife, you know. So, I mean, I can say that because, you know, I've lived it. So I know that it can happen. And what Hannah, Hannah and uh, Pastor B really, really want me to talk about is what happens when a woman earns more money than her husband. But... Uh, I was going to say Pastor Elaine. Well, you're a pastor of um, finance, aren't you? So, <laughs> when she was talking, and I know one of the things Anna also wanted me to do was to share a few business tips. So, hold that. So, if you have any questions on eBay, Amazon, but maybe I should let, let me quickly just leave you with the eBay and Amazon. The number one thing is the price. For any item you want to sell, the price must be right. You know, if you don't get the price, I don't venture into eBay, you'll just be, you'll just, or Amazon, you'll just be enriching their pockets. Um, number two, the busiest season is September, October, November, December. You make 70% of everything during that period. And then, um, what else? It's easy. They're, I taught myself. And now is even, when, when I started in 2005, selling on eBay and all that, um, the internet was very slow. The, it was still developing, but now it's really developed. You can find everything you need on there. So that's, um, that's that. So when it comes to um, a woman who, and if you have any questions, please um, make sure you ask me when I finish. Um, so what I'm talking about now is women who earn more. Uh, when wives earn more than their husbands, sometimes the marriage would struggle. And the reason is because a combination of societal expectations and deep-set ideas about gender roles um, is such that a lot of relationships would, may suffer if the woman earns more money than the man. So one of the things I thought would, I would do, because that's the foundation of every single thing that I do, is to always look at the scriptures. From a biblical perspective, um, Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28 says, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, verse 27 says, um, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And verse 28 says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and multiply. So the man and the woman in the beginning were all created to be fruitful. 
and to multiply. And then um, the instructions for, I hope I haven't, okay, yeah. So the instruction for, no, there's something missing here. Oh, hold on. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing is that we're all blessed. Men and female, we're all blessed. And now I want to look at um, Christian household, the instruction for us as Christians. But before I look at that, one of the things I wrote down was, okay, yeah. So, the instruction for Christian household, according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, because a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. His body, um, uh, well, just as, I'm rushing, so just bear with me. Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so, one of the things you find out is this, and this is one of the things that my husband and I really like to talk about. When you get married, you step into the office of a husband. When you get married, you step into the office of a wife. When um, I was listening to um, Michelle Obama's uh, audiobook on becoming, and I noticed that, like she was saying, when you step into the office of the president, there's certain things that goes with it, whether you like it or not. And it's the same thing as a husband and a wife. When we, when we say, I do, your husband takes on the role of a herd, and the wife takes on the role of being a helper. Because the Bible says in Genesis that God said that I need a helper for this man. And so he created the woman. So the instruction is for the wife to be in submission to her husband. Um, and then for the husband to love his wife. So it's almost like a, a two-way thing, you know. Um, and then part of that role in uh, if we look at um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, it says, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the men's so he closed it up. And verse 23, when the man woke up and saw the woman, he said, This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. Isn't it so interesting? No matter all the feminism, I'm not an advocate for feminism, honestly. I, I am, I, because at the beginning of the year, I felt the Lord say to me very clearly that any woman who fully embraces the extreme Radical theology of feminism is going to end up divorced and will lose her home. So we really need to stay in the middle. You know, we need to be balanced, you know. So the, whether we like it or not, no matter how intelligent or educated we are, the woman was taken out of the man. And the man is the head of the woman. If you have any issues with this, when you meet God face to face, you can ask him. But while we're on earth here, that man, when you get married, he steps, he's, the, he's in the office of the president. And you are the vice president, whether you like it or not. You know? And so, um, honestly, we can't unpack a lot of these things. But if you have questions, I will answer them. Yeah? And so it says, um, uh, and this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame whatsoever. And so, um, one of the key things about marriage is that the woman needs to realize that she's a helper. The first time I heard um, Miles Monroe say that the woman was created for the man, I had a headache. Because by the time Miles Monroe actually, this was maybe 2019, anyway, in 2000 or so, when he began to teach on it, you know. And I sat down with some of my friends and we began to dissect it. Because what Miles Monroe was saying, my brother, is that we were made for the man. And so our gifts... Our talents, our revelations, our abilities must enhance him. 
<laughs> I said to my husband, whoa, you know. So that in a nutshell is the reality. That is God's idea. A helper is somebody, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being our helper. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. The Holy Spirit, um, he helps our weaknesses. He helps us to pray when we cannot pray. So in an ideal situation, it means that the man and the woman should be each other's best friends. They should cover each other's backs. If a woman is more intelligent in a particular area, I can talk to you about personality. Because some women are choleric. My daughter is choleric. From a very young age, me, I'm, I'm sanguine melancholic. I do this, I, I, my, my, my mentoring and one of the things I'm very, very hot on is personal development. Who are you? Because once you know who you are, there's, there's no room for competition between husband and wife. If the husband knows he's phlegmatic, you know, so phlegmatics are docile, they are laid back, um, cholerics are movers, they, 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 they're leaders usually, melancholics are perfectionists, and sanguines are impulsive people. Once you know your temperament and you step into marriage, there is no, there is no need to try and be what you're not. Phlegmatics are laid back. So if, when we are counseling, we've had to, sometimes the woman is almost at the peak, or we can tell that she's a career woman when we're counseling them in our premarital, premarital session. So we've had some couples, we've had to send back, go and do this homework well and then come back and see us. Your wife is a career woman. There's no way under the sun she'll be back by six. It just so always happens sometimes that the man job, he can live at four. Are you ready to pick the kids from school? Are you ready to, you know? So these are some of the practicals. Every marriage is different. Every marriage has its own context. But if we are naked and not ashamed, then we will talk about these things before they become, before we even, before we even say I do. Some of us may not have the opportunity we fall pregnant while cutting or if we're in long distance relationship. There are different reasons. Why we may not be able to tease these things about The ideal situation is if you're in the same place, then tease these things out. What, what's your personality type? Every, every personality, every temperament has strengths and weaknesses, which is why I love teaching on temperament. So it means you're not better than me and I'm not better than you. It just means I'm, my husband is choleric, I'm sanguine, melancholic. So straight away, there's tension. Because our temperaments are different. I'm very colorful, I'm impulsive. I go, oh, Jonathan, I've just invested 1,000 and ask me, oh, you didn't ask me, oh, I didn't think I should. You know, but with time, we balance things out. So now I know, okay, I won't just go and invest, I will wait. No matter how hot it is, no matter what Elaine says, I've just opened, see my sanguine nature? Even without thinking, without blinking, without doing any research on PC, you can, when she was talking, I went on and I signed up to become a member. Can you imagine? I haven't even asked my husband, no. Uh, can you see? So can you see this sanguine thing? It's just that, oh, this is a good idea. Because as she was talking, I was thinking, if I have my savings elsewhere, then I won't be dipping into it. Right? Aha. Uh -huh. so, so when I get home, I'm going to have to explain that to my husband in a particular, you know, so I'm just, I'm just, using, I'm just being very honest and open. So my husband knows me. So he may ask me that, well, have you, have you promised anything? Have you? <laughs> so when, so once you know yourselves, it's, look, whether she earns more money or not, you know, I don't want to run ahead of myself. I'm looking at the time. But the most important thing I'm trying to say is this. Adam and, his, and Eve, his wife, were naked and they felt no shame. They understood each other's personality. They understood each other's temperaments. They understood, you know, that, okay, he's, he has uh, this and he's, I'm good at this, she's good at that. And so there was no need to be ashamed. They could talk about every and anything, you know, and that's what um, honest means there. And then, like I said, office, um, you know, so when you look at your office, I wrote here that your identity should not be based on income. So my temperament has nothing to do with my income. The fact that I'm, I'm, a, I'm sanguine, I'm, you know, I love to go out, I'm a perfectionist, my husband likes to be in charge, he likes to be in control, you know, and um, you're, you're phlegmatic, has absolutely nothing to do with your office. The office is an office, you know. And I like this, the ideal marriage family situation is one in which the wife respects her husband, a husband loves 
and serves his wife, and children honor their parents. There is no scriptural or historical reason to believe that a woman earning more means a forfeiture of leadership. So the, word, the fact that she earns more money does not mean that the man's leadership is kaput, is gone off, is non-existent. Money, if, you, if you're saying that because your husband earns more money than you, or if I say that because I want season in our lives, I, 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 was, I had more money coming in because of my business, then I, I assume the office of my husband, then I'm out of sync. So money has absolutely nothing to do with the office. Your office is your office, and as believers, God ordained the office. So, um, in, um, another thing that God has given to us and God has blessed us with is that, as, especially for men, you know, even for women to respect from your wife, your kids, and your community will be given to you if you work hard. So this message has evaded too many men of this generation. Diligent, consistent effort at any job, and every job is glorifying to God. So that a man who puts everything into his work, despite the pay, ought to hold his head up high. So a man who is working, whether he's earning 500 pounds and I'm earning 2,000 pounds, at least he's working. He's doing something. He needs to be able to hold his head up high. And if he has given everything he has, day in, day out, there is no reason for the man to be ashamed. A problem arises when husbands resign to let their wives carry the financial load while they give minimal effort. This is slothful and lazy. And the scripture warns against such living in such a manner. It says, if a man cannot rule his own home, he's worse than an infidel. He has denied the faith. And so being a biblical man consists of spiritual leadership in the home, sacrificial service to your wife and children, and an industrial work ethic. A husband can find contentment by fulfilling what scripture prescribes and not fret over other areas that are not addressed. So, I would, because I have friends, I mean, I've been in ministry for, for more than three decades, so I can tell you, as a pastor, I've counseled, we've, I've counseled women, my husband and I, we've counseled couples as well, you know, and I can tell you that if we, there, there are times when a man, and a woman earns more money just because of her job than anything else. So a woman who is into um, project management, you know, business um, analysis, a woman who is a doctor. I have, a, I have um, two of our friends, I remember in our early years of being married, we were having these conversations because we used to hold a lot of um, baby showers and bridal showers. So every one of us women would come together and we start sharing notes. And I remember one of our friends was sharing with the whole group. You know, and I usually always share her story. She, she said, um, how, she happens to be an accountant, her husband, a doctor. And it just so happened that at that point in time, they were at the peak of their career. And her husband, even at his greatest peak, his salary, her salary was twice his. Even though he was a consultant and she an accountant, her salary was twice his. So if he was on 30,000, she was on 60. You know, so this is by virtue, even the, this is by virtue of their profession. And so she said what they decided to do was they sat down, they had a conversation and agreement about it that he would take care of the mortgage. So anything to do with the mortgage, but every other thing, every other thing, she would take care of it. That was what they set up. What we would do, in my own cases, we would have a joint account where the bills come, where the bills, where the salary goes into, or we can have um, separate accounts. We we'll have a salary, a, an account where the bills get paid into. And then um, we disperse the bills from there. We can do that. So every, look, initially when we used to teach couples, we said, oh, it has to be, you must have a joint account. My husband and I did it. I mean, I mean sanguine. I would say, Jonathan say, Abby, I've just got, um, 50 pounds has just left the bank. I would say, I went to the market, I bought nappies, I bought, he said, oh, but you didn't tell me, why should I tell you that I'm going to buy nappy for the kids? So after I stressed him, right, we just decided, you know what? Let's have separate accounts, but we'll have our joint. So, you know, so every couple have, you know, so work with your context. 
Don't go with prescription. Ah, you know, it has to be joint account. Otherwise, God is not in this marriage. Says who? I'm just saying, I'm telling you, if I tell you some of the things we've been taught over the years, oh, I'm like, gosh. You know, but now one knows better. What is your context? Some men find it very difficult to hold money. Some women find it very difficult to hold money. So what I would say is, okay, let's sit down. How much are we both earning? Combination, 10,000 a month. Fantastic. How much are we giving God? 10. How much are our bills? 6. So we have 3,000. We're saving 1,000. We're investing 1,000. This 1,000, we're splitting it into two. You take your 500. If you like, go out, play money. <laughs> you know, do, do whatever you want with it. Balance. One thing I strive for as I'm getting older is balance. We have to be balanced. Read. What is my context? Read. Find out information. Read. And then make um, the decision. So, the part two, so I've laid the biblical foundation that um, is an op, the, the, the role of a husband, the, the office of a husband, the office of a wife, hard work, the man should do whatever he can according to biblical standards. Don't fret over income and outcome and things like that. Just, you know, stay within my office. Men are meant to provide leadership. And then I get some women who say to me, but Pastor Abby, I'm forward thinking. These are the choleric women. Women who are, every woman who comes through me, they will tell you, every, especially those who are close to me, they will tell you at some point in time or the other, they've had to do the temperament test. I do not let them go. On it. This is me, personal development, so you know who you are. Choleric women like to be in control. They like, they have foresight. They can see things before they happen. You know, the only problem with choleric is, is my way or the highway. Because they think they have sourced it, they know they can, and they're usually quite analytical, you know. It took me time to really be listening to my husband because I said, okay, me too, I'm a graduate, I understand these things and all that. But I noticed that he has his forward thinking. So when you say to me, oh, Abby, I think we should do this and I'm still trying to speak grammar and all that. Now I don't speak grammar anymore. I just go with his flow. But he's proven it over the years that he always is usually right. In some areas, I'm right too. So that's submitting one to another. In some areas, I submit to him, and in some areas, he submits to me. That's the way it's meant to be. 50-50. Oh, did I use 50 I don't think I should say 50-50. Don't hold me to ransom. Don't hold the snooze to my neck. Oh, I didn't say 50-50. You know what I mean. But I'm, all, all I'm just saying is balance. You know, between both of us, we have a we flow, you know, together. If you watch our Facebook Live that we did on, uh, we celebrated our 25 years in, um, on the 30th of April, you know, he understands me. He, you know, he just lets me be, and I let him be. But that's taking a lot of time and effort, you know. So when we look at the biblical aspect of, you know, submitting one to another, respecting your husband, loving your wife, and things like that, things that affect the woman earning more than the man are the things I want to start talking about now. Um, traditionally, it's been found, it's, it's been found, actually, everything I read as I was preparing for, everything I read, every article, every paper I read, actually said that majority of people sub still subscribe to the traditional view of the man bringing home the money, which I think is fantastic because that's really, uh, well, we, if we're going to look at head from an angle of literal, literal head, you know, that's what it means, you know. But so a lot of people, they do subscribe to the fact that they prefer for the, um, for the husband to be the one to be financially more in control than the woman. Um, it says that ideologically, though, it, it doesn't appear that society has kept pace when it comes to gendered income expectation, as in the woman earning more. It's not supposed to matter, theoretically, yet around seven in 10 adults who responded to a view said that um, it was very important that a man be able to support a family financially in order to be a good husband or partner. And some of the stories I read also was talk, uh, pointing to that when, when friends are together and they say, oh, I remember this guy, <laughs> he and his wife, they said they went to see um, that they were okay, they were working together, but when kids, when they began to have children, they realized that um, one of them needed to be at home, and it was more the woman. It was the man 
whose income would not be able to carry them through, so they decided that they would go with the woman. And so when they are with their friends and they are laughing and joking, I say, oh, she's the one bringing in the money. Everybody will look at them like, ooh, you know. And so they began to feel uncomfortable. And, you know, they said they started feeling ashamed that, oh, my gosh. And they, 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 would, they stopped telling people that she was the one earning more money than them. So this is to do with them, the traditional views. Then income disparity. This causes a lot of relational problems for people. If a man is bothered by his wife's higher income, over time, he might feel resentful, unimportant, and undervalued. But being vulnerable and sharing fears with your partner is the strongest thing you can do. What this um, lady recommends is if a man's self-worth is shaky, it might be good to see a therapist to help them reconnect with the vitality of a man. I would say, go back to the word of God, you know, What's the office of a man? Your office is you're the head of the home. So there's nothing to be um, insecure about. Upbringing. I've heard it time and time again. My mom was the one in control, and I saw what she did to my dad, so it's not happening in my home. There's that. Upbringing. Um, it can be meaningful if it takes a really active role in the family finances, for example. Our upbringing can affect our thinking even when we're not aware of it. If a man grew up in a home, where mom didn't work, but now his wife earns the bulk of the family's income, for example, he might be uncomfortable or unhappy about it without realizing where those feelings were, are coming from, upbringing. Fairness. Researchers found that female breadwinners were two to three times more likely than male breadwinners to be responsible for managing their household and children's schedule. That kind of pressure could potentially strain a marriage. But people's sense of fairness doesn't necessarily mean a 50-50 split, but when says, things don't have to be fair to work for people, but they have to feel like they're fair. She says you have to feel that the other person cares for you and is doing the best they can to create a fair relationship. And so what we generally say is this, because this comes up a lot, that my wife is earning more money. Sometimes women get very edgy, that, oh, I have to go to work, I'm bringing money, and I say have to manage. That's your office. And I say have to um, take care of the kids, I have to do the schedule, I have to do... If you haven't agreed with your husband, and it's not something you've spoken about, then there's no need to be getting quite irritable and angry, and there's no need, need to have verbal diarrhea. You know what verbal diarrhea is? When Excuse me. Winging. You know, there's no need for that. Honestly, there's no need for that. If uh, I personally, don't let me rush because I need to quickly wind this down. So frustrated, another reason, uh, another, um, reason why this may not work is if they, they feel they're more ambitious and goal-oriented than their partners, they can get frustrated. The woman can say, I'm putting all my energy into this and working really hard. A possible sense of feeling the, of fairness is that although men more typically share childcare and household tasks with their partners than they used to, women still end up carrying a disproportionate amount of the load. Because as we're, we're, the way God made us, we're maternal. You know, we are made, we're nestlers, we're, we're nurturers. Men are created to give instructions. They are created to find us solutions. Even when we, if we look at our physiological makeup, we receive. When you're sleeping with your husband, he gives to you, 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 you collect from him. Even the way God has made us. So there's something about the man being able to give. And um, what I would say is give what you have. Don't give what you don't have. You know, you, you, I hope I'm making that. Don't, give, don't try and give what you don't have because you'll be frustrated. But both, both parties should give whatever it is they have to the best of their abilities. I really feel that you think I'm talking to you, but <laughs> because you're sitting right in front, and our and our our our, um, our eyes keep meeting. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> expectations. Oh my gosh, I can do a whole teaching. I usually I I do teachings on expectations. This thing right here is a real killer. Expectations, expectations that we haven't discussed. Expectations that we are assuming, expectations from our upbringing, expectations from body language, expectations from this, expectations from family, expectations from friends, 
or expectations that we put on ourselves. You know, this thing right here, this, it's as a, a lot of people are in the divorce court because of expectations. Both of you are not perfect. You said, I do. And then you step into the marriage and you're expecting a perfect human being. Come on. You have ba- the fact that you're expecting a perfect human being means you have baggage yourself. The fact that you're, you know, I could, I could go on about expectations. So this right here is a problem. I've said about growing trends and jobs that pay more. I've said about, I've spoken about that, that sometimes it's not even to do with um, the, the job. It's just the income that you get. So these are the things that influences um, us, our upbringing, the society, friends, family, our personality, our baggage, uh, uh, communication style, and vulnerability. But as I bring this to a close, I can say to you, and you can take this to the bank, and you will get interest on it. I personally believe that having said all of this, having said all of this, the best way to navigate anything that has to do with relationship is communication. Somebody say communication. When a couple begins to have problems based on money and things like that, it is not the money. It is an indication of the level and the quality of their communication that is coming through but it's coming out of money. Having said that, I know that the third reason why people divorce or the highest second is because of money. Because love doesn't pay the bills. Love doesn't, just like you find out, if you like us, we've, uh, we've done everything. When, we, when I was growing up in church as Pentecostals, we have um, sowed seeds, to get out of debt and we never go out of debt. We have sowed seeds to be blessed and yes, God has opened opportunities for us. But you know, what I found out with time is there are two principles. There's the spiritual law and the physical law. If you do not save, there will be no money for the rainy day. You can, if you give all the money to church, you know what God will do for you? He will give you strength and opportunities. But at the end of the day, you still need to get your butt up and go and walk. If you do not plan, you will not be rich. Being, uh, look, to being, being successful, there is no miracle to it. You know what there is a miracle to? The miracle is that God can open the door for you to land in front of Bill Gates. But even before you get there, you will have your business plan in your hands. So you would have done something. So faith without works is dead. In all these things, we must be balanced. I'm telling you right now. And so, for a couple, communication is so important. I always say this. I say this. Understand yourself. I know me. Number two, communication is very, very important, especially between husband and wife. And if you have friends, I said to my, I was saying, as I, as I bring this to a close, I was speaking to my son the other day. I said, oh, he said he met someone. He wasn't feeling the person. So he decided not. I said, son, let me tell you now, as a mom, you must, anybody you meet, number one, be nice to them, exchange numbers, and when you leave the place, just say hi. Really nice to have met you. If you have the opportunity, meet up with them if you can. Meet up with them, find out what they do, find out what I do, and you may never hear from each other for the next five years when she needs you or you need him. That is how I, 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 I built my network unconsciously. But I can tell you now that it is paying dividends. And one of the things I say is you need me and I need you. I am one of those pastors who believe you must never terminate relationships. Because we all have strengths and weaknesses. I know there are people who drain us. There are people, but they're in your life to make you strong. Don't terminate you, because you don't, everybody's going through a season. That person you're looking down on may be the only person you need as a bridge to your next level. But you've terminated them and you've walked away. I don't terminate relationships, though. 
and I nurture relationships as much as God will give me strength. Are, are we saying you should be best friends? You can't be my best friend. In fact, my circle of friends, maybe I only have two of I don't do best friends, but I have very good friends, right? But the bottom line of what I'm saying is, I mean, when um, Elaine, when I saw um, Claudine's picture, I've not seen Claudine for almost five or six. I'm not, I don't even know what she's up to. But her phone, her number is on my phone. If I need her, I can call her because my credit with her is still in the positive, right? So I'm just saying, let us make sure that we nurture relationships. Let us make sure that um, we keep communicating. And, you know, these are some of the things that uh, affect us. And then, well, you can get in touch with me via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's Abby Oloide. My Abby.com is my online store. And thank you very, very much. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. Have a blessed week.